Welcome to the April 24th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28, and the sermon is entitled, The Family United, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We are traveling through books of the Bible. If you're new to us, uh, for many years I have been traveling through books of the Bible and we have been working through the book of 1 Thessalonians. I want you to take your New Testament, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're actually on the last sermon in 1 Thessalonians today as we go on a verse-by-verse journey through this first letter of support and encouragement and teaching that the great missionary Paul wrote to the young church in the European city of Thessalonica. If you remember, they had established a church at Philippi, had been run out of Philippi by persecution because they were a missionary team, had gone about 100 miles to the next largest city of Thessalonica, and there the mission team preached the good news of Jesus Christ, and people were saved. This is a brand new church established with brand new baby Christians. So I want you to keep that in context as you go through this letter of 1 Thessalonians, and we will begin 2 Thessalonians next week, that these are letters to baby Christians, teaching them on the ground level of what it means to be a church, what it means to be a congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul and his mission team preached in Thessalonica, there were a great diversity of people who were saved. Jewish people were saved. Gentile people were saved. Greeks were saved. And from that huge background of diversity, Paul takes all of those brand new salvations and he unites them together in one body called the church. And it's amazing, some of these people disliked one another in their culture. Some of them were natural enemies. And yet Jesus Christ goes beyond those cultural boundaries and unites us together as the people of God. And that's true here today. All of us are from different backgrounds, different ways of life, but Jesus Christ unites us together because His Spirit lives in us. Amen? That's what makes the church work. That's what makes the church love one another because the Spirit of God lives in us. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us. Today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you can give your heart to Him this very day before this service closes. But at one time, these people were strangers, but now they were connected as brothers and sisters in the church. It was a huge life change for them. Paul and his mission team would have loved to have stayed in Thessalonica and taught these, and pastored, uh, and discipled these young Christians. But they were run out of town as missionaries. The city of Thessalonica wanted nothing to do with the Jesus movement in their city. So the mission team was run out, leaving this brand new church of brand new Christians behind. So as you read 1 Thessalonians, you have to remember that Paul is addressing this brand new church in a hostile city, and yet they were thriving. They were growing. They were ministering even when the odds were against them. So Paul writes two letters, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, to teach and train and support these young Christians in the faith. So today we're going to close 1 Thessalonians, and I love the ending of 1 Thessalonians because it is very practical counsel and advice given to a church 2,000 years ago, but these words could have been written this morning. They are so applicable to us and what these words teach, what it means to be the church of the living Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope you have your Bible open with me, 1 Thessalonians. Go to chapter 5 there. This teaching is amazingly current. So let's look at verses 12 through 28 
of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, go to verse 12, and we're going to end the book today. So Paul writes to the church, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. What a great conclusion of a wonderful book of the Bible. You know, anytime I preach through a book, it becomes my favorite book. This one has become my favorite now. But before Paul and his mission team were run out of the city of Thessalonica, they had organized this little church. It's pretty obvious that they had a leadership uh, role within the church. There seems to have been pastors, elders, deacons set in place to provide human leadership for the church. But some of the members, as they served as leaders guiding this new congregation, Paul reminds them, first and foremost, in all the leadership of the church, first and foremost, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It is still true this day. He is the head of the church. He is the ultimate authority. He is the chief shepherd, and his word is our roadmap within the church body. But as God leads the church, then he also chooses human under-shepherds to be under the chief shepherd, leading under the chief shepherd's guidance. So look what Paul says to the church, and this is with regard to the human leaders of the church. Look again at verses 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. I want you to notice in verse 12, Paul calls these church members brethren. This is Paul's favorite word for the body of the church, brethren, brothers and sisters. Some places in some translations, he's it's simply listed as brothers. But it's the combination of brothers and sisters of the church. He calls us brethren. And we're brethren. We truly are brothers and sisters because we're kin, not so much by blood, but by the Spirit of God living in us. And that's a greater, deeper kinship than blood kinship. It exceeds blood boundaries. It exceeds family boundaries. We are part of a universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ, drawn in because the Spirit of God lives in us. Now, 
Paul must like this word brethren, or brothers and sisters, depending on your translation, because he uses it 27 times in First and Second Thessalonians alone. So he loves to call the church the brethren, the brothers and sisters. It's a reference to the church being kin together, connected by Jesus. And in these two verses, Paul says, Family of the church, you are to know and love and respect your human leaders. You are to follow the leadership that God has placed for you within your church body. So esteem them, he says. Respect your church leaders for their work. Now, certainly, human leaders are not perfect. You do not have to say amen. We already know that. We are certainly not perfect, but Paul says respect and follow those whose hearts are true for Jesus who are striving to be like Jesus, who are striving to lead the church in the footprints of Christ under the leadership of the Word of God. So we leaders have a holy responsibility that we are to lead you under the chief shepherd's leading by the Word of God. But when we have our little fallible foibles, please do forgive us and allow us to go on to lead you as God would have us to lead esteem and respect those who are leading the church now certainly human leaders are not perfect but be at peace in following that's what paul says be at peace be in unity in following the leadership of the chief shepherd through the under shepherds of your church be at peace there be at unity there personally church i want to thank you for respecting the leadership of the church and we do feel your respect and your love and your encouragement We thank you so much for allowing us to lead the church. Do do remember, uh, your leaders, we're just an old chunk of coal, but we're going to be a diamond one day. Thank you for that applause. (laughs) But how wonderful it is to be called to lead the truth church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you for your confidence and for your prayers on our behalf. We covet your prayers on our behalf. Uh, And as we move on, In verses 14 and 15, Paul says the church is to take care of itself internally. Now, this is really an important point of Paul's leadership of the living church of that day and the living church of this day. We are to take care of each other internally within the church. We're to keep each other on track. We're to admonish and encourage and pull one or other along in how it means to serve and minister within the church body because here's the truth. If we can't keep each other on track, and if we can't love and support and encourage one another, the gospel of the living Lord Jesus Christ will never leave these doors. We have to have the love of Christ in here to take the love of Christ out there. So it's important that you and I love one another, encourage one another, know one another. Keep the church on track by taking care of each other individually inside as we take the gospel outside. Now, I want you to notice what Paul says about that. Look at verses 14 and 15 of 1 Thessalonians 5. 14 and 15. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. He's talking about inside the church now. This is a reference to in the church family. Warn them who are un- that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. All right, let's, let's back up. 
Let's go through that list. Warn the unruly. When you look at the original Greek text of that, basically what the Greek is saying is warn those who want their own way. Warn those who want to threaten the unity of the church by demanding their own way. And he said they, those folks can truly disrupt the unity and the oneness and the ministry of the church, those who resist God's leading in the unity of the church body, who would rather say, I'm going to take my marbles and go home because I disagree with this one point. It's a God-fearing, God-loving, Scripture-following church, but they find one point they don't like, so I'm going to take my marbles and go home. Those are the unruly. That's what Paul is saying here. Warn them. Do not allow them to disrupt the unity and the family of the church because they're working against the will of Jesus for that church body. Warn them against that if they're within your church. Then Paul says, comfort the feeble-minded. Gwen, you do not have to say amen here. (laughs) Comfort the feeble-minded. Actually, in the King James Version, there's another Greek translation of the same word, and it's faint-hearted. And really, that's a more fitting word. To comfort the faint-hearted and it comes out as feeble-minded here. It's really not a word about mentality. It's, it's translated to, to encourage the faint-hearted, to encourage the one who is disheartened or discouraged. And it simply means to encourage the brethren among us who are weaker in the faith, who are not as strong in their faith, who need to grow in their faith. Build up believers so that they too become strong within the body of the church, the ministry of the body of the church. Build up believers, make them stronger as they stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're to to do that for each other, building up each other so that everyone develops a strength in serving the Lord with the ministry that he gives to us. The next phrase is very much the same. He says, support the weak. That's a physical picture of a spiritual truth. Someone who has a broken leg, you get under their shoulder and you lift them up and you support them as you carry them out. In the same way, he says, for a person who has weak legs of the faith, get under them, lift them up, support them, help them to walk so that with each step that they take, there is healing and there is strength and there is the Spirit of God working with them and growing them. Support those who are weaker in the faith. And, of course, all of us develop at different paces. And so he says in verse 14, be patient in this task. Be patient in supporting the weak and helping them to grow. The people of God need to get strong, but be patient with those who need strength and minister to them. You know, after 40 years of ministry, I am convinced that there are two words that signify the pastor's job. You ready? Two words. Patience and perseverance. Those two words truly do signify what the pastor should be doing. Patience and perseverance. Be patient as the ministry develops and grows. Be patient in that, but keep pressing forward. Don't be so patient that you start treading water. Does that make sense? Be patient with the ministry, but push the ministry on. Persevere forward in the ministry so that all of us are growing together, but also going together in the love of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, Paul says, Never, never allow church members to repay evil for evil, inside or outside of the church. In other words, we will not tolerate 
an attitude of, I'm going to get even with you. That is not of Christ. It is not of the church. And Paul said you cannot tolerate that kind of attitude in the church. It's not of Christ. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35, God himself says, I will repay evil deeds. I will take care of the evil that's been leveled against you. That's not your job. It's a job that we're to leave to God. Believers, we do not speak We do not do evil against anyone inside or outside of the church body according to the will and the word of God. God will deal with injustice. You're to deliver Jesus. In fact, Jesus took this thought one step further. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, he said, Love those who bring injustice against you and pray for those who hate you. So you can't, you can't have a terrible attitude towards somebody that you pray for. So, so Paul and Jesus are on the same wavelength here in that we are to reach out even to the people who do us injustice. Jesus says pray for the ones even who hate you, who are your enemy. Pray for them, lift them up, ask for God's healing and blessing upon them. And then also as we look at these verses, I love these short little verses of 16 through 22. Verse 16, rejoice evermore. Paul says, if the church is truly the church, there is to be a joy here that we are to look forward to worship together. This is, this is not your, your, your holy job. This is a joy that we gather together as the church family and the church body, and we, we have the privilege of worshiping a holy God together. This is not simply a responsibility that you fulfill. It's my responsibility to go to the dentist twice a year, but that doesn't make me joyful. But we're to be joyful in coming together as the living church of Jesus Christ. Rejoice evermore, he said. Now, that doesn't mean painted on smiles. And I can tell you, in fact, I ran across somebody this morning that gave me a little bit of substance in this. Sometimes... Young families, you come in late because the kids were a mess and it was hard to get them together and the house is a mess. You close the door and close the mess in so you can make it to church and you're still late. The pastor's family's been there. We know how that is. But I want you to know it doesn't mean that you paint on a smile. And sometimes the Sundays are a little stressful getting here. But when you get here, be grateful you're here. You know, the dirty clothes and the dishes, they'll get cleaned up later on. Forget about that mess. Come to enjoy church. Have your children here. You know, it's a blessing that you bring your children here. Even when it's hard, get those children here because they need Jesus now. They're like little sponges right now, and they need Jesus now. So don't let the hardships of some Sunday mornings keep you from bringing those little ones and your children and your teenagers to church. They need Jesus now. They need to grow on that foundation now. Also, you'll notice uh, in verse 17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. In other words, leave the line of communication open to Jesus 24-7. Now, it is very important that you get your little devotional guide or your Bible, and you go to your private place in your prayer closet, and you have a devotion with the Lord every day. Pray every day in your private prayer closet. But don't let that be the end of your prayer life, Paul says to the church. Pray without ceasing. In other words, pray while you're driving. You don't need a cell phone or texting. It's not against the law to pray while you're driving. 
As you're going down the road, I have heard many people say in their lengthy drive to work, that was a lot of their devotional time as they talked to the Lord Jesus uh, on their drive to work. Whisper a prayer uh, when you need guidance in that conversation that has all of a sudden gotten tense. Whisper that prayer right in that moment. Lord, give me the right words to reach out to this one in this tense moment. Pray that prayer when you're dealing with your children and it's a little bit stressful. Pray that prayer when you wake up in the middle of the night for some reason. Just, just pray a prayer. Because the, the, the amazing thing about being a child of God is you don't need to make an appointment to, for Jesus to hear you. Praise God, he's always listening. And we can pray without ceasing and he will hear every word. And he will answer every word for you as well. See, the Bible teaches that prayer is not just a structured moment. It's a constant moment. And we're to pray without ceasing, a constant flow of conversation with the Lord. Verse 18, here's the challenge. Verse 18, Paul says, In everything, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Well, that's an interesting statement, a challenge, isn't it? Give thanks in all things. Well, I don't really give a lot of thanks when I have to go to the dentist. And there, there are a lot of things that I'm not really truly thankful for. I'm not thankful for sickness. I'm not thankful for stress. I'm not thankful for gnats. I'm not thankful for flat tires. I'm not thankful for mail from the Internal Revenue Service, which I got this week. I'm not thankful sometimes for family problems that rise up. I'm not thankful for, for issues in life that just simply come. How can we be thankful in all things? What Paul is saying here is be thankful that through all things, Jesus walks with you. That's why you're thankful, because you're never alone. He's always with you. He's step-by-step step with you. He knows your heart. He knows what you're going through. Be thankful there. Be thankful in all things that Jesus is with you. And Jesus loves you. And there's no one in the world like you. And no one in the world can take your place with him. Be thankful in all things that the Lord Jesus Christ walks the walk with you through the hard days and the challenges and the trials as well as through the sweet moments of life. He is always with us. You know, there's a, there's a key passage that, that I love. Uh, my favorite psalm is Psalm 139. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to these couple verses. Here's what, it's, here's what Psalm 139 says in its beginning. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising and understandest my thought afar off. There's nothing that you go through that Jesus doesn't know about. That's what the Bible says. He understands our down-sitting. He understands our uprising. He understands the problems. He understands the joys. And he's with us through all things. Be thankful in all things because he loves you that much. That's what Paul is saying here. Verse 19, quench not the Spirit. If you're a believer, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. He's taken up residence in me. That's what joins us and binds us together is the living Spirit of God is in us. And it makes us kin and it makes us brothers and sisters. And Paul says, quench not that Spirit living in you. If you're a believer, at the Spirit living in our heart, He desires to lead us in all things. 
And what Paul is saying here is never put out the fire of God's desire to lead you by throwing on the cold water of disobedience. Don't throw the cold water of intentional sin in the Spirit's leading you. Quench not that Spirit with a a cold water of disobedience or walking away from Him or saying, I don't need you in this particular instance in my life. Don't quench the Spirit's desire to flame in you and be a passion in you and lead you through every step of life. Don't ever tell the Spirit living in you, be quiet, I want my way. That's quenching the Spirit. When you tell the Spirit, my way is better than your way. My decision is better than your decision for me. Quenching the Spirit. Paul says, do not quench the Spirit of God living in you. Verse 20, despise not prophesyings. A prophecy is a message of authority from God. It may come from your personal Bible study. It may come as a message through your prayer life. It may come as a message through a pastor, a preacher, or radio teacher. But in some way, God gives you a message for the present or the future. That's a prophesying. And Paul says, despise not those prophecies from God. Do not, do not disregard God's will by your own wisdom. Despise not God's word being expressed to you. Never say, I'm going to choose my will over your word, God. Despise not his prophesying, his leadings. Don't be swayed by popular opinion when you have the truth of God in your hands. Don't be swayed by the world, but rather follow the word of God. Never be swayed by the world's gold when you have God's word of truth. It's important that you and I know that he has a will for us and he speaks to us through his word on a daily, regular basis. Listen to his word and follow it to its letter. Then also, verse 21, he says, Prove all things, church. Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. In your life, hold on to the good things of God. Don't be drawn off track by things of the world. Hold on to that which is of God. The good of God always triumphs over the good of the world. Because the good of the world ultimately will lead to to destruction, to disappointment, where the good of God will always lead us to His will and His grace and His blessing and His produce in our life when we follow the good of God. As we follow Him, we know that indeed we are to be led by His good in everything that we do. Verse 22, great verse. Abstain from the appearance of evil. Now, I want you to take your pen or pencil, and I want you to underline the word appearance. Abstain from the appearance of evil. So, so Christians, brothers and sisters in the church, here's what Paul is saying. Obviously, we're to run away from evil. Obviously, we are to stay away from that which is sinful toward God. But Paul adds another level to that, another layer to that, and also we run from even the appearance of evil. We think about what I'm doing right now, if somebody else were seeing me, does this appear to be evil? We think about that. Think about what's in your grocery cart sometimes. Does it appear to be evil to someone who sees that what's in your cart? 
If you look on your Facebook page, can somebody look at your Facebook page and say there's something evil on that page? It appears to be evil. Get it off. Take it off. Take it down. Because Paul says, don't just avoid evil. Avoid the appearance of evil. Don't let anyone misconstrue what you're doing to be something evil. Think about your life's actions every moment of your life and avoid the appearance of evil. I love that verse. And if you think about that verse, it will take effect in your life every, every single day. Listen, believers, guard your witness. When, when Paul says run from evil and even run from the appearance of evil, listen, what he's saying, church, guard your witness. Well, here's the truth of God. Satan cannot take away your salvation. When you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, John chapter 10 says you are firmly in the palm of his hand. But Satan loves to destroy your witness. You can build a witness for years and years and years, and it can be lost in a second. And Satan rejoices. He can't take away your salvation, but when he takes away your witness, he takes away your influence to the lost. Be careful. Always remember that you are to be serving the Lord in all that you do. Then Paul closes his letter of 1 Thessalonians. Verses 23 and 24, he says, Church, may God make you and sanctify you to be holy and blameless. Keep your hearts centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Until he comes again, you serve him. Holy and blameless, you serve him. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand this. This is not just a word for the pastors of the church. It's not just a word for the deacons of the church. This is a word for the church. That every single one of us within the body of the church have something to do and to contribute to the Lord Jesus Christ in the ministry here. Every single one of us. Just a side note, remember the nominating committee is still hard at work. And we still need you. But every one of us needs a church job. Every one of us needs an outlet for our talent through the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are faithful to him because first and foremost, he was faithful to us through the cross and an empty tomb. He was faithful to us to offer us life, and now we offer our life back to him. Verse 25, Paul makes a very sincere request. Pray for our mission team, church. We want to pray for our missionaries. We want to pray for those who are out in the world serving, either locally or around the world. We pray for our missionaries. I love verse 26. <laughs> it says, greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. Well, in the first century, people of this culture would indeed embrace and kiss each other on the cheek. It was very accepted in that day, but I want you to listen. The key is, our culture is very different right now. Men, I would love a holy embrace, but you can leave the kiss behind. <laughs> Don't need the kiss. Listen, the key is this. The key is this. Take care of one another. Greet one another. When you go through the congregation, memorize a name or two. Now, I'm not asking you to memorize everybody's name on a Sunday morning, but memorize one. So next Sunday, you can call that person by name. We, we need to have that holy connection that we love one another and take care of one another. That's what Paul is saying here is the church is not a church of disconnected strangers. We don't come here 
to, to simply worship and get up to leave and not know each other. We're family. We're brethren, brothers and sisters. Get to know your brothers and sisters. That's what Paul was saying. The key is don't be strangers passing with a glance, but get to know one another. Well, as we love each other through the grace of God, His will and His ministry will go from this place. It will go outside of these doors when we love one another. You'll notice that all of these words today were centered on the church, the local church body, and how we treat one another and how we follow the Lord. That's what this whole sermon was about. But listen today, if you're a part of the church body, that means that you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Maybe there's one here in this sanctuary today, or maybe there's one listening online somewhere around the world. Our, our, our media is around the world now. Maybe there's someone in another country of the world or right here in the United States of America, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. According to the definition of the Bible, you're not in the church yet, but you can be today. If you want to know Him and you want to walk with Him and you want to ask Him to be your Savior, Here's where it starts, by saying, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have a broken relationship with you because of my own sin. But I believe Jesus went to the cross and died as the perfect Lamb of God in my place that I might be forgiven. And I believe that you rose from the grave as we celebrated last week that I might have eternal life. Lord, I need you as my Savior. I want you as my Savior. And I'm coming to you as my Savior. Today, if you want to make that public, right here you come and accept Him. He publicly died on the cross for, for you. And he publicly rose from the grave for you. Now today, can you publicly come and say, I accept you? He's waiting for you. If you're watching online, just bow where you are, wherever you are, and say, Lord Jesus, I need you as my Savior. Church home, whatever you need, he meets us here. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these precious moments. Thank you, Lord, that as we come together, you have a powerful plan for your church. We thank you that Jesus Christ is indeed our chief shepherd and we are to follow you and to follow your word to the letter. Help us as a church to do that, Father. Help us to rededicate our lives to that. Bless us at this very important moment of decision, I pray, especially for that one who needs Jesus as Savior. Bless us now through his name and his holiness, we pray. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.